it's wonderful to worship in a way that just glorifies uh, the Lord's infinite attributes. Just, you know, recognizing who he is is a wonderful thing in worship. Um, so most of you here know that we're a, we're a baby church. Like, uh, we're just a year old, just past a year. And uh, the Lord has been uh, blessing us tremendously. Um, one such blessing was when we came here, uh, the Lord called the Cruz family to join us. And uh, there's been a just a wonderful grouping of people that he's called and assembled together here uh, to form a local body of believers. And, uh, and there is not a week that has gone by that I have not been just um, humbled and just so excited about the Lord's hand on Colton's life and, and his call upon, upon his life and his family. And uh, so today is, is pretty special because along the way, I, I don't meet a lot of men who uh, exhibit what I would, what I believe to be a true call of God on their life. And there is absolutely, I've told him, there's no doubt in my mind that the Lord's hand is on him and, uh, and that he's called him into the gospel ministry. So today you have joined us on a day that we are going to um, call him as a local church to that sacred trust of following the Lord in the gospel ministry. Um, because we're a baby church, um, we don't have all of the, um, the setup as far as yet the elders and everything because we want to be certain that when God calls the right men that we put those men in place and uh, to, to serve as elders. And so until that time, um, we have set up that we've got advisory elders, and these are men outside of the church who serve as elders in a way and because my dad uh, was a church planter uh, pretty much his whole life and has pastored his whole life, I have invited him to come today and read uh, about in Scripture, going to God's Word, what are the, the qualities of a man of God who has been called in the gospel ministry? Dad? John Branch, by the way. You can call him Dad if you want. Hey, that's me. You can call me Granddad, I guess. <laughs> hey, it's my pleasure to be here. And, uh, and once again, join with this church. Uh, we've had some good times together, and I'm looking forward to more. And this definitely is one of those times that, uh, that we cherish as being a part of, and especially uh, uh, with Colton. And uh, I know that uh, you're in for a wild ride, brother. And, <laughs> and I'm glad to be a part of it to start out with. But uh, Michael asked me to say a few words about the, uh, the, and we always, I think, use a word that is probably not even a correct word. We say qualifications of a preacher, a pastor. Uh, no, they're not qualifications, and there's nowhere in God's Word where it says these are qualifications of a pastor. They are qualities, qualities of a man who should be called to be a pastor, who should be placed in that position. And there are two places in the Scripture, New Testament, where Paul uh, gives advice about this. And one of them is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the other one is in, in Titus uh, chapter 1. That's the one I prefer to read to you this morning because it, uh, it says very clearly that Paul left Titus in Crete. Uh, and uh, in verse uh, 5, it says, for this cause left I you in, in Crete, uh, that you would set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed you. So it's, it's a scriptural thing. 
to for a, a young church to ordain men to uh, in these positions, and especially to have that special uh, anointing by the church, so to speak. And uh, and he goes on to say that uh, uh, he says, uh, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, money, <laughs> but a, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gangsayers. I, uh, when, I, when I read these, I always uh, think back to that, that time uh, when Paul was uh, writing these words, and certainly things were different then. Uh, culture was much different. There were things that, uh, that went on, uh, even in the name of religion, that uh, Paul had to deal with. And so a lot of the things that he says in, in the, this council has a cultural background, and yet everything that he says ought to be true, and Michael, I'm sorry if I'm going to steal your thunder, should be true of every Christian. I mean, when you read these qualities, when God says that when you're called by him to be a child of God, that your first desire should be to become like Christ. And so if we all become like Christ, there shouldn't be one of us who stands above the other in any kind of equality. And yet we know that whenever a church is looking to choose someone and place them in a leadership role in the church, that they definitely should be those who exhibit the kind of qualities that this scripture has laid out. And so, Colton... I know that uh, you fit. I know, I've known you long enough to know you fit. And so I pray that you will take all of these things to heart. Everything that's done here today is, uh, is something extremely special. And you should feel special in having been chosen by this church. Thank you. I'm going to ask that you uh, take out your Bibles in whatever, whatever form that you like to read uh, your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter, chapter 13. And what, what uh, my dad mentioned about this being really the quality of every believer, there's a, there's a relationship in the body of Christ between the congregation and the leaders of the church, the, the pastors and the elders of the church. And um, so today I'd like to point out this relationship and how really we should all exhibit these things, but there's this relationship between the two as we hold one another accountable, okay? And that's the really one of the wonderful charges of the body of Christ is that we are holding one another accountable uh, to the calling 
and uh, as ambassadors of Christ. So Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look in uh, verse uh, chapter chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Let love of the brothers and sisters continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are badly treated since you yourselves also are in the body. So I'm going to talk about a sacred trust today, and that is the way I like to describe what we're talking about it, not only as, as, a, as called to be in the gospel ministry, to be a leader in the church, but also to be part of the church. It, church is a sacred trust with the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly um, in that relationship between this local body and Colton being called. So first of all, he talks about encouraging Colton, encouraging that consistent love for one another among the brothers and sisters in Christ in the local body. He also encourages um, or tells us to encourage and facilitate the love of outsiders in the body of Christ, those who are lonely, those who are in need, the prisoner, those who are oppressed, okay? And you should do all that you can to be above reproach in the areas of morality, and no one should be able to bring any charge against you. Now, let me, let me say something really important here. This is this anything before your salvation doesn't count, okay? We're talking about once you've accepted Christ and you and you have become a follower of Christ, then to follow Christ means that I am pursuing holiness, okay? I'm pursuing to reflect God's holiness. And and uh, and this is not a salvation of works, but rather of resting in him. And that's the that's the tension is that if we're working to do it, if we're working too hard, we're going to miss the whole point. We rest in him. We submit to him. And in doing so, the work of sanctification is done in us and we become more and more like Christ. Okay. Um, now look at uh, verses four and five. Marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Verse five. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, okay? Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So first of all, he mentions marriage and that reflects Christ's sacrificial love for his church, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. That should be that relationship. And let me just say, a wife in the ministry, uh, the, God's word puts it right when it says is worth far more than, than uh, priceless jewels. I mean, there's just, there is, uh, Cassie, there's something to truly be said for being uh, a wife who will, love and honor her husband and understand the call and and be there to support her husband in that call. And it's not always easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's going to be more difficult for you than it is for him. So I, I we want to recognize that you're part of this scenario today as well. All right. Um, so he talks about the importance of your marriage and how important that is. Um, and then he mentions financial gain, that it should never be the reason 
that someone does what they do in the gospel ministry. As a matter of fact, that's, that's absolutely unthinkable that there would be anybody who would join the ministry or sign up for the ministry uh, to take advantage of the flock uh, and, and gain financially, okay? It's, it's actually the word that comes to mind is disgusting. And, and a, fall, uh, a, a preacher of the gospel, uh, a man of God should never look toward financial gain, but rather it says the Lord is your helper and, and that's what we need to understand. This is for all believers, that contentment, if you're content with whatever God puts in your hands, then you will never want for anything because you just trust him. You trust that he's going to give you everything you need. So God will place everything in, that you need in your life to sustain you and your family. And this is a wonderful place to be, honestly, that, that a lot of people in life don't ever get to experience is just trusting the Lord as Jesus said, consider the birds of the field. Like they're not freaking out, wondering where they're going to get their next meal. They trust the Lord and it always shows up. And that's the way uh, that sometimes you'll be living, okay? <laughs> um, so um, Hebrews 13, 1, uh, 7 through 8, let's start in verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He makes that statement that God is unchanging and as they imitate Christ, you can imitate them because they're imitating Christ. It's that, uh, that ongoing uh, loop that takes place in, in looking to those who have come before us and imitating our lives according to them as they imitate their lives according to Christ. So God places men in your life who will teach and preach the word of God to you. There is nothing more life-giving, nothing more powerful than the word of God being proclaimed in the life of a man of God and honestly of a man who's leading his family spiritually. Uh, these men, it's important to understand, are never perfect, never perfect. But as they seek to honor God in their lives, they are an example for you to imitate. So never place a man on a pedestal thinking that they can do no wrong because we just know we're all men and that's just not factual. We're all going to disappoint in some way at some time. And then he, he, when he tells you to follow these, these men, that it's okay to imitate men, he, it comes with a, a warning. It's followed by a warning. Verse 9, do not be misled by varied and strange teaching. So once again, he also always points out uh, the dangers of false doctrine in the body of Christ. And especially if you place a man on a pedestal, they can lead you astray. If you are not, remember it said, speaking the word of God to you. The word of God is what they need to be spe speaking to you so that you stay in line, okay? So don't be misled. And then Paul gives an example of eating foods that were sacrificed, okay? So that's just one example of how in his day they could be led astray. But in our day, brother, there are countless ways to be led astray. There are countless deceptions that are out in the body of Christ today. So you have to be extremely vigilant, okay? Um, God places people in your life that you will learn from, some in their faithfulness to God's word and some because of their error and in their failings. And uh, so you have to be vigilant and you will learn from, uh, from some, the way I look at it sometimes, there are extreme people who have come into my life and I always try to, to understand the scale in which they are in their ex, extremity, right? I don't know if that's a word and how extreme they are. It's like, wow, that guy 
He's a little nuts, and I know people say that about me, I'm sure, as well. But you need to know how to balance those extremes. And sometimes God brings someone in your life because you're ignoring an area of your walk with the Lord that you need to give a little more attention to. So you may not go that far, but you're going to at least take note of it and go to God's Word and find the balance in the Word of God, okay? Um, So... There will also be times in ministry where you will have to limit someone's influence in your life. If you, if you know that my friendship with this person or uh, my connection with this person and what they believe could ultimately draw me away from my calling and where I need to be, then you may have to make a decision sometimes to, to allow less influence of some people in your life than others. And that's, that's, you know, Jesus talked about it all the time, that the gospel is something that's put out there. And based upon what people will do with the gospel, it causes them to stumble. And sometimes that means, uh, you know, people will walk out of our lives because they choose to walk away from the Lord as opposed to following the Lord. And there's always going to be that conflict in ministry. And then verse 17, uh, and, and, and folks, this is for all of us, okay? This is for all of us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, how many of you would bow up if someone says, you need to obey your pastors and submit to them? The leaders that God has placed. If you're in a body of Christ and you have been called to that local body of Christ, then God has set up the church in such a way that you should submit and obey to those men of God who he's placed in that position, trusting that they are reading and basing what they believe and what they're doing on the word of God in the gospel ministry. So obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Bottom line is, Colton, you and I, and anyone who follows the Lord in this gospel ministry as teachers will be held to a higher standard when they stand before God. We will give an account for every person God has placed under the umbrella of our, uh, of our ministry, okay? And, and I believe that with all my heart. That alone should help keep you on the course, okay, and and keep you uh, walking the right path. It says, uh, so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, for this would be unhelpful to you. So in this context, the leaders of the body of Christ, it's assuming, again, your leaders are honoring God's word and that their lives are reflecting God's calling in them. And here's the deal. We should all accept and want correction from God's word in our lives, okay? Uh, especially, especially if it's scriptural, we should long for that correction because that makes us more Christ-like, okay? Um, God calls our leaders to preach the word, and in turn, the Bible says that it guards over our souls, understanding that one day all of us will stand before him, you and I both, okay? And sometimes... The congregation, the families, you don't see the blind spots in your life. And your pastor, it's not easy. The pastor has to come to you and say, have you considered this about the consequences that these particular choices or these particular things in your life could bring into your life or even unseen things in the life of your children down the road? Have you considered this? And that's never easy for a pastor to do. These days, most people get mad and just go to another church. But what I'm charging this local body with is don't do that. Accept that correction and let's pray together and let's seek the Lord together and let's grow together as a local body and not be playing the church hop. Amen. If the body submits in this way, it allows the pastor, Colton, it will allow you to lead in the freedom of joy 
and it's saying that if you push back as, as the congregation, if you push back against the pro proclamation of the Word of God and the correction that it brings, that you're only hurting yourself because you're really pushing away God's correction as opposed uh, to just the wisdom of men. And then uh, verse 18, pray for us for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So again, folks, you should always pray for your leaders. I charge you to pray for Colton uh, today and beyond this day um, that they would not do anything to compromise. You would never do anything to compromise your integrity or your influence within the body of Christ and over your family. Do whatever it takes to protect your calling and ministry and your leadership in your local family and in the body of Christ as well. You are his ambassador, and that goes for each and every one of you. We are his ambassadors, and, and by that, what I mean is if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. There, Jesus' words are extreme in showing us that if there's something that we know could cause us to fall, then we make sure that we put up parameters and guardrails to keep us from even going in the territory that might cause us to fall. So do whatever you have to do, okay? All right, Colton, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Uh, if you would just have some music. Uh, um, my dad and I are going to lay hands on Colton and pray. This is your time uh, right now to pray for Colton. So there's just going to be some music. You pray uh, privately. It's not going to be on the, on the speakers or anything, but this is your time to turn your attention to praying for Colton in his calling of the gospel ministry. Dad. Lord Jesus, we lift Colton up now as a local body. And we charge him, Lord, to live according to God's word and to serve you, Lord, in humility, always in humility. That he would understand that 
this is not a place of prominence, Lord, but rather as you are our example, he is the lead foot washer, Lord. It is his job to humble himself and serve and to do whatever you have called him to do, to give up whatever you have called him to give up. And Lord, while this is something that is difficult to understand by the world's standards, we know it's foolishness to them, but Lord, we know that this is how you have chosen to call your ministers and how you've chosen to change lives and call others into the glorious light. So Lord, I know your hand is upon Colton and, and his family. I pray that today in his heart of hearts, he would know the seriousness of what it means to stand up in that place of teacher, of preacher, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be powerful in his life, that he would walk by the truth of the word of God, that it would be uncompromising and he would take whatever blows, whatever sacrifice that comes his way, Lord God, and he would do so to, to glorify you proudly. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to serve one another, to serve the local church. But Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you first and foremost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. All right. We're going to take a break, a seven-minute break. And uh, we do this, we call it BRB. It stands for Be Right Back. We do it every week. And when we come back, Colton's going to bring the Word of God. And I've told him uh, to make it shorter than usual this week. So, But we're here, no matter how long he preaches, we're here uh, to hear the Word of God today. Amen? Amen? All right, so you guys can go grab donuts, go to the restroom, whatever you need to do. We'll be back here in seven minutes. There's no five-star kids today. We're all coming back.
Are you aware that that's live? That is on live on Facebook right now. He was dancing. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am and how thankful I am that all of you were able to join us for this, this morning. It um, was an extremely important moment in my life, uh, a milestone, if you will. And um, when Paul said, I came to you in much fear and trembling, I kind of understand what he's talking about now, uh, because there's a, a heavy burden uh, that rests on a minister's shoulders with the people that he teaches, um, and not only the people who God has given them in his church, but all of those people around him who um, who have he has influence over. Uh, so, to kind of get started in our, uh, I, I, I appreciate both of you gentlemen, by the way. You didn't know that you were going to get a triple helping of preaching this morning, did you? Um, but to get started on the sermon, um, last week we did our scripture reading, and it was over 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I thought that was a great idea because that gave us a little bit of a refresher. We've been going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians, um, and that gave us a bit of a, a refresher as we were finishing up chapter 2. Well, we're now getting into chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and so what we're going to be doing in our scripture reading is reading chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Um, so we do this not out of tradition. We do this because it, it is told to do this in 2 Timothy, to, to have a public reading of Scripture. So uh, if you would stand in honor of the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of men, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man, which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except for the Spirit of God. But we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who 
who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you humbled, on our knees, ready to lay our lives down at any moment for you and your holy word. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us and thank you for giving us your word. We know that it is sufficient and that you tell us everything that we need to know about you in this book. Lord, that's why we hold it to such esteem. Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, and we thank you for your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, now we're just going to continue on into chapter 3. We're only going to be reading verses 1 through 9, however. Um, And in chapter 3, Paul kind of gives us a sort of uh, Christian growth chart. And in verses 1 through 9, that growth chart is kind of given as an overview of the entire chapter. So, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to you as spiritual men, but to you, but to men as I'm sorry, but to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk, milk to drink, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? When, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? But servants through whom you believed. Even the Lord gave, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither one, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he whose waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of God. So it's interesting that these were the the nine verses that I got to cover on the day of my ordination um, because it talks about, like I said, this Christian uh, spiritual growth chart. Um, And we'll get into that here in a minute. But these on the screen, these are the scriptures that we'll be using this morning to um, to interpret our scripture. So you can follow along. Uh, I've, I've heard people ask this before and they ask, how can you know that your interpretation is the correct interpretation? And you may be even asking yourself that same question. In fact, you should. You should ask that of every sermon that you listen to. Um, And 
it's, it's, a pers- it's, a, it's a question that every Christian should face at some point or other in their growth. But there's one problem with that question because it's not my interpretation. Now, you may ask, well, how do you know that? Well, there is only one interpretation, and the Bible only says what God wanted it to say. It, um, it is not our job to God's, interpret God's Word, but it is our job to allow God to tell us what His Word means. So the way we do this, when Michael and I or any pastor um, is preparing for a sermon, we, we use a few different sources. The first one would be fellowshipping. Uh, Michael and I, we bounce questions off of each other quite frequently uh, and, we, and ideas and things like that. And it's great for spiritual growth as well as biblical understanding, but it misses the mark. Our life experiences and our ideas is not what interprets Scripture. We also use commentary and sermons of highly trusted men who have solid biblical understanding of the text that we're covering. Um, and I, I went from binge-watching Netflix to binge-watching sermons, um, so I'm a bit of a sermon junkie now. Uh, but that, too, misses the mark, and even those men will tell you that themselves. Do not rely on us to tell you what Scripture says. So these, two first, these first two sources are fantastic, but, um, like I said, they miss the mark. They're... they're Great for historical understanding, and they're great for a pragmatic uh, understanding of Scripture. But by far, the most important source that we can trust to build our sermons is from Scripture itself, because Scripture interprets Scripture. So when you're reading your Bible, you'll see little numbers by, your, by the words and, and, and in the verses, not the actual verses, verse numbers themselves, but quite often those numbers are referring or a reference to something else that covers that same thing in Scripture. It does not contradict itself. So the, the, the Word has been given to us to be used as a tool to interpret God's Word. It's a lie that there, is, uh, that there are endless interpretations of the Word of God, and it's a lie that each person can interpret Uh, Scripture the way they see fit or how it fits into their life at that time. It's a lie that I believed myself. I I, I thought that, you know, I could just listen to a preacher and he could tell me what God's Word means, and that was enough. Um, But until I started or until I was challenged to read it on my own, uh, I, I then began to see God's Word opening up to me in miraculous ways. And that's what the Spirit is all about. That's what uh, He brings understanding through the Holy Spirit. And not only understanding of Scripture, but through that understanding of Scripture, we can then discern truth from heresy. And like I mentioned, the whole entire chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is that Christian growth chart. And we can use it to examine ourselves, and we should do that often. So let's look back at verse 1, because here's an interesting point that Paul makes. The first thing he does is refer to them as brethren. Okay, Now, I, I love this because um, he does this in not just 1 Corinthians, but every single one of his epistles. Um, but the word brethren is adelphoi in the Greek, and it is a reminder 
that despite their immature sinfulness, they still have salvation. They still belong to the body of Christ. Uh, but it also, it also stands as a warning that they should probably sit down because Paul's about to get all up in their business. Um, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. So Paul is telling them that they are not mature in Christ, that they are mere infants. And let's turn back to chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. That'll be the first reference that we have here. He says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So on these same verses, Charles Spurgeon wrote, The power that is in the gospel, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist of the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word to give it the power to convert the soul. It is not about how, what I can get up here and say to you. It is preaching the word and the word alone. There's nothing but truth and power in the gospel. And if a preacher adds his own flair or eloquence to persuade his congregation, he's not doing them any favors. In fact, if their faith rests on his wisdom, he is damning them to hell unless the work of the Holy Spirit has been, their hearts been pierced by it. It becomes a cult of personality. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul continues, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. So there is a wisdom. There is a knowledge, but it's not a wisdom or knowledge known by mere men, but the wisdom of God. Paul is saying that the wisdom... Uh, cannot be understood by immature infants in Christ. It's different. It's set apart. They have to grow into that. The wisdom is not the gospel because they've already received it. They've already received it and they are already brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not just preaching the gospel at that point. The wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit through growth and maturity and is given to you piece by piece, day by day, little by little, and you've heard us use frequently the term sanctification. It's, uh, it's the growth and the maturity that is precisely, that is what sanctification is. And it never stops. You should never stop growing in your faith. And Paul tells us that, that this very wisdom that separates the spiritually infantile Christians from the mature Christians... That's, that's, that's the very thing that separates the two. So let's allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, and we're going to turn to Ephesians 4, verses 13 through 14. 
Ephesians 4, 13 through 14. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's the, here's the kicker. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Church, we must long and pray for this maturity in faith. Otherwise, we are susceptible to every doctrine, to every trickery of men, and every de deceitful scheme. And I believe that it's this very immaturity that we see in the church today that is to blame for most of the problems that we see in our very own communities. It's the reason why marriage is more likely to fall apart than to fight to stay together. It's why pornography has been running rampant in both boys and girls and men and women alike, as well as husbands and wives. Spiritual immaturity is, the, is to blame for the embrace and the acceptance of sin. It's to blame for the decrease in Americans who proclaim to have a biblical worldview. And it's to blame for the millions of people who walk away from their faith. They don't get it. They don't get it and they don't grow in their faith because they have someone on a stage telling them what to believe. And whenever it doesn't match in their lives, they leave. The most evil and demonic idea that is being embraced by the modern day church today is this idea that God loves you right where you're at. Okay. Now, I saw some of your eyes widen thinking, what the heck is he talking about? Because I've heard this my whole life. I'll say it again. One of the most evil and demonic ideas that is being preached into our churches today is that God loves you right where you're at. Now, on the surface, it sounds great. And to an immature Christian, they would undoubtedly agree. And in fact, you might even think that it's quite heretical that I'm even saying that that's demonic. But the point is that to a mature Christian, it's nothing more than a deceitful scheme. The trickery of men. It's been repeated so many times, time and time again, that you actually would believe that it's... in. In Scripture, you can't find it in Scripture. Telling people that God loves them right where they're at is telling them that they don't have to change. They don't have to be made into a new creation, which is what the Bible says happens. It's telling them that they don't need to grow, they don't need to mature, they don't need sanctification. And why would they if God loves them right where they're at? It turns God into your bro rather than your Lord. And if your bro is with God, you're certainly not a slave to him as we're called to be. So let's move on. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 2. Moving on to that second verse. 
I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. So Paul gave the Corinthians milk to drink first. So in, in reference to doctrine, what is this milk? We all know that you cannot give infants solid food, uh, and if, if, they, uh, if that's all you have to give them, they can't chew it, and they can't swallow it. They'll most likely choke and starve. Uh, and so they absolutely need milk to survive, and the Bible tells us that milk is the same is same similar to an infant Christian. So let's turn to First Peter chapter two, verse two. Like newborn babies, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So not gain salvation, but grow in in that progress towards your sanctification. In reference to doctrine, milk is the word of God. It's to be longed for and desired for by all Christians. But as we know, infants grow and they mature into toddlers. We have lots of them in our church. Um, And what happens if a toddler never learns to feed itself, but stays stuck on a bottle being fed by mom, until up into being a toddler or even further. Maturity cannot happen simply by being read or fed God's word. Being told what it says and being told what to believe. You must learn how to feed yourself the scriptures. Because without the deeper study and application of it, You will never grow and you will never mature. You will never have a true understanding of who God is or what His Word says. And you will not know how to discern truth from the lies of the world. So let's look at mature Christians now. What is expected of the mature Christian? And how, if we are mature, how would we know? What are the things that that we can see in ourselves? So let's turn to Hebrews 5. We'll be reading verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice of their senses, trained to discern good and evil. Guys, there are churches right now, this morning, who only, only give you milk. It's the things that feel good. It's the things that lead you to that, to, to the gospel and lead you to then confess your sins and repent of your sins and become a follower of Christ. But you cannot stay there. You cannot stay there. You have to grow. 
So what is it expected of us once we graduate from infancy? Paul says we ought to be teachers, every single one of us. We should be so consumed with Scripture and the application of it in our lives that we should be able to teach it. This is not me judging anybody by any manner, but I'm asking you to hold a mirror up to yourself. Examine yourself and see where you're at. We should be able to discern good from evil and truth from lies. But here's another one. It's an important one. It's it's prayer. Do you pray? If so, how often do you pray? Paul Washer stated that you should compare your time on social media to the time you spend in prayer. Because the average time an American spends on social media is two and a half to three and a half hours. How does that compare to your prayer life? It's certainly a good measure for a Christian to to measure their maturity. Do you get on your knees and you pray to your God? You should. I should. Every day. Husbands, if you don't pray with your wives and your children, you are missing your mark as the spiritual leader in their lives. Do you read to them, revealing to them the glories of God? Read this book to your children. Vody Bauckham once said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but I fail to teach him to keep his eye on Christ, I have utterly failed as a father. And we have too many generations who forget these things. Men, are you satisfied with your biblical knowledge? Are you satisfied with your spiritual leadership in your family? May you never be, never be content, never be satisfied because the enemy is lurking around every corner waiting for you to screw up or waiting for you to lose focus so they can snatch your family away from you. Let's continue to verse two, at, back at the, the back portion of verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 3. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. So even years, years after Paul had left Corinth, he still cannot find maturity in the church of Corinth. So let's see why. Verse 3, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? So obviously we're all born of the flesh um, and even Christians, we are still the flesh, meaning we are the created ones. So Paul is not talking about being flesh. He's talking about behaving fleshly, behaving like the world. Paul is taking a Christian and then he's contrasting them to the people of the world. We should do this often. We should look at that mirror 
We should compare ourselves to the people of the world and see if we are different from them because we should be. Let's look at Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So there's obvious disregard for Scripture that's happening in America and in the churches all around the world. Um, But nowadays, Christians like to walk and talk and act and behave just like the world. I I think it's mainly because they think that being fleshly is cool and it's attractive, and maybe they think that it will help the church stay relevant or something along those lines. Um, but Paul would be the first to tell you the only ones who are attracted to the coolness and the fleshliness of the world is the world itself. And unfortunately, there are many infant Christians who fall into this deceitful scheme. So continuing in verse 4. This is in 1 Corinthians 3. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And what then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So here's another reason why Paul found the Corinthians to be fleshly and no different than mere men. These divisions, they were clearly causing issues, uh, deeply rooted issues in the church of Corinth. And we know this because not only does Paul address this in the first chapter, but here he is again addressing it in the third. The Corinthians were certainly influenced by worldly temptations. They had it all around them. They were, uh, they were kind of drowning in it in that society of Corinth. Um, and, but we all are. But the internal issue of their fleshliness um, allowed them to fall into that temptation. And they desired that worldliness. It was their strife, jealousy, and their lust of the flesh that opened the door for their countless issues. And we will, uh, Paul addresses those later on in the book of 1 Corinthians. But here he is saying that their fleshliness is the root cause of all of these issues that they're having. And the root cause of that root cause is their spiritual immorality. Their spiritual immorality brought them to the point where they had these other issues or temptations. And because of their spiritual immorality, they fell to those temptations. Continually, continuously, over and over again. So... uh, Let's continue on to verse 6, though. I wanted to make this a quicker one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, 
but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Now, similar to the way Jesus taught in parables, Paul gives us kind of a parable or a metaphor of what Christian growth should look like. And interestingly, he uses this metaphor. Uh, it resembles very similar to, it's very similar to one of Jesus's most well-known parables, which is the parable of the sower and the soil. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out and sow, went out to sow. And he had and he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Verse 5, others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had, had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered, withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So in contrast to this parable, Paul is saying that the congregation is the field. The field needs to be planted and watered and groomed and taken care of and looked after. But ultimately, it is God who grows each member of this field himself on their own, individually, by his own will. Some will be carried away to never return. Others will wither away because they had no depth in soil some will be choked out by the thorns of this world. Um, and then some will have such good soil and good depth that they will grow deep roots and they will yield crop a hundredfold. All of this by the will of God. Because Paul is a nobody. He is nobody. He can desire for every seed which is planted to grow and mature, yet he is completely out of control of it. He has no control. Apollos is exactly the same. He is nobody. He can water that field and hopes that every single sprout will flourish and yield crop, and yet again, it is completely out of his control. In order for us to grow and mature and we flourish and we yield crop, our focus must be on God and God alone through His Word. Not of man, not of this world, not of our pastors and teachers, not even our fellow Christians. Because Michael is not responsible for our spiritual growth. He is not responsible for our spiritual maturity. And he is not responsible for our application of God's Word. He plants and he waters, but God grows. And if you seek him, you will grow. There are many people, 
Christians especially, who will tell you that you do not need any depth of soil. Leave that to the theologians. You don't need it. But yet they were burnt. They had, they have people who carry them away with lies and confusion to never return again. And then they have some that were so choked by the thorns of this world, they couldn't see how they could continue as a Christian. Christians are hated. Christians are disliked. Christians are made fun of. They're not cool. So they were choked out. Don't be one of these Christians. Don't be one of these Christians. Seek the Lord. Don't seek it from me. Don't seek it from Michael. Don't seek it from pastors on TV or on YouTube. Read yourself. Seek him yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the ears to hear and the eyes to see what you have laid right out in front of us. Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us everything that we need. Lord, we love you. And I pray for every individual listening here in, in person, listening online. Lord, I pray that you speak to them. Give them a, a allow your word to pierce them, their hearts. Give them a, a, a hunger for you, Lord, that only you can provide because our flesh is repulsed by it. Lord, we pray that you be with every member of this church tonight. Uh, be with them and keep them safe. And Lord, we, we just lay our lives down for you. Whenever you call us, we, we, are, we are ready to act. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, as we dismiss today, uh, I'm going to ask Colton, you go to the back door back there and let everybody that wants to uh, walk by and greet you and hug your neck or whatever. If not, they can go through this. Exactly. Yeah, there's an, <laughs> there's an exit over here as well. So... Um, yeah, so skedaddle. Okay, you go okay, ahead. I'm yeah. going. And uh, that'll give you guys an opportunity to do that. Um, if if you're visiting and, and you're not connected with the church or you don't know really what's going on, you know, sometimes it's difficult to communicate, all right? And uh, so one of the ways that we communicate is on our Facebook page, if you'll like our Facebook page. Also, if you want to be part of uh, kind of the internal communication, we have a messenger um, uh, app that we talk back and forth uh, with one another on and and let everyone know we're about to start meeting on Wednesday nights and having a Bible study. We're going to have student ministry for the students and uh, we're, we're, we got got to figure out what we're going to do with the kiddos yet, but, but that's also something that we're going to do as well. That's going to begin, oh, that's going to begin this week also, uh, and that's going to be at the Lillard's house. You're still good with that, right? Because we're showing up at your house on Wednesday night. All right. Uh, we are praying and looking for a place to meet during the week where we can actually facilitate family ministry. Um, and the worship team's going to start worshiping as well. So Ryan uh, is, is going to be leading that. And if you guys want to be part of the worship team, please get with Ryan. Uh, it's going to be a, a great thing going forward. This is the study that, that uh, Colton will be leading the folks through on Wednesday nights. And uh, it is by Paul Washer. It's called Studying the Holy Scriptures. And it's basically just teaching you how to study God's Word. 
properly, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you can buy that on Amazon or whatever, and they're, they're pretty like cheap. It's like $6. Six bucks, <laughs> yeah. This, no, the, the teenagers are doing something different. I'll be leading the teenagers. Colton will be leading the adults, okay? So, um, all right. So with that being said, you guys, if, if you need to find out what's going on, like the Facebook page, and we'll be sure to post everything there, all right? Otherwise, we're dismissed. If you want to help tear things down, please do. If not, we won't judge you.